0: And this is Natasha
1: and welcome to another episode of Winter's Bloom's Talk
0: which is an extension of our website, Winter's Bloom.
1: be to let go of your Welcome to
0: another episode of Winter's Bloom's talks. Um, Sophia had the idea for this one um, to record something for International Women's Day, which is Sunday, March 8th, and we were going back and forth and we really wanted to dedicate this episode to our moms and to motherhood. Um, So to kick us off, Sophia, can you share with us who your mom is?
1: Yes, with pleasure. Um, My mom is originally from the Gambia. Um she is a fitness um or I don't know see this question sorry this is like already side-checking <laughs> quite early on in the podcast <laughs> but when people are like like who, I do you know like that phrasing of the question who is she I always think in my <laughs> head like who is she and what she does are different things but to tell you a bit about what she does as well um she is a fitness instruc- instructor she does um she teaches mainly Afrobeats and Zumba. She's a very fiery person, <laughs> very outspoken. Um, she is, I think, quite humble um, and is quite religious is what well, I would say. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, that that's... My brief introduction. Um, (laughs) Would you like to introduce your mom for us, Natasha? Um,
0: Yeah, sure. So, my mom is originally from the Philippines, um, but she kind of had um, a very unconventional upbringing. I guess most people have an unconventional upbringing. Like, what does it even mean to have a conventional upbringing? Um, But so, yeah, she was born in the Philippines, um, right outside of Manila. And her dad, um, was an engineer for the Philippine army, I'm pretty sure. Um, but so she ended up traveling a lot when she was younger. Um, they traveled a lot through Asia and a lot through Europe because, um, yeah, actually I'm not exactly sure why, but something to do with the fact that he was an engineer. I should probably learn more about our family history, but anyway, um, she was an artist and um, also a Buddhist practitioner and teacher. Um, so in our town in California, she started this Buddhist sangha, which is just kind of like a gathering um, for people who practice Buddhism. And, um, and it's interesting because her artwork and her spirituality were pretty, pretty heavily interwoven. And we always used to make fun of her because um, her, the titles that she would use for her paintings were so long, like they were quite a mouthful. Um, but now that I go back and I'm reading the title of her paintings, they're very, um, they're very contemplative and very spiritual. And, and I can see a little bit more now understanding a little bit more about Buddhism, where that was coming from. Um, but yeah, she, yeah, she was really into fashion and just really into the pleasures of life. Um and yeah, that's kind of my mom in a nutshell. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to ask you, Sophia, a little bit more about how your mom came to the UK because I've heard this story in bits and pieces. Um, but I was wondering if, if you wanted to share that story with us here.
1: Yeah, of course. I was also going to say I've also heard it in bits and pieces and I feel like it changes a bit every time. Or well, not in changes, there's like more detail <laughs> added. And they're usually like crucial pieces of detail that my mom's like, oh, I thought I told you that last time. And I'm like, no, you didn't. But, um, <laughs> My um, mum, my mum's mum passed away um, when she was one month old, so she was brought up by her two aunts and um, my great-grandmother, and her dad, um, he didn't, like, disown her, but he basically, essentially didn't take responsibility for her. So she, like, didn't really know her dad growing up um, until about the age of like seven or eight and when she tried to make contact with him um he didn't really seem interested so she's always told me that from a really young age um her like goal in life has just been to educate herself and to better her position in life she came from quite a poor family growing up um so for her coming to the UK was meant to be a means of for her to get education and to to better her life, as well as gain the skills that she felt was necessary to go back to the Gambia and help it develop, which was, um, in her opinion, through the uh, the tourist tourism industry. So she came to the UK. Oh, this is really bad. I can't remember the year. <laughs> I want to say in the early nineteen nineties. Um. And originally, she told me that she applied to be a, a fruit picker. Um, yeah, back then, well, to, to, to date, the Gambia is still part of the Commonwealth. But back then, it was much easier to just get a visa and come over. So she just literally bought her plane ticket. And she said that when she like arrived in um, a London airport, they granted a visa there and then. But because she was too skinny, <laughs> they said that she wasn't the right build for picking fruit. So I think she ended up like becoming a cleaner and then um, at the time was just like living with uh, a relative, um, a Gambian relative who already had moved to the UK and she just lived with them and worked as a cleaner to save money until she could enroll into an evening GCSE course, which is um, equivalent of secondary school or high school education uh, because she hadn't received that in the Gambia. I think in the Gambia, to date it's only primary school education that's free and then secondary school you kind of have to to pay like a, a basic fee which her family couldn't afford to pay so yeah she studied did her GCSEs um, then eventually did her A-levels and then um, enrolled for university and she studied all the way up to her master's level um, and during that time she was working I think something like three jobs and I remember actually the like my younger years um which is when she was still studying for her masters she would like wake up at like four or five in the morning go and like clean some offices come back make me breakfast um and I would be with my older half half sister who is Philly Gambian um she would leave us and then my older sister would walk me to school or, like, drop me off. Um, my mum would go to university. Then she would come back, pick me up from school, drop me home, give me something to eat, and then go and do another job. And, yeah, so I remember, like, the first five years of my life of her – she was there, but I just remember her also just kind of being busy a lot of that time. Um so, yeah, sorry, that kind of went into a whole tangent. <laughs> the question was just, how did she come to the UK? Um, but the story, yeah, the story could can, can go on for like another, another 10 minutes. So I think I'll I'll leave it there. Eventually, basically. Oh, yeah, that, I thought it was just important to add. So the rules back then for gaining um, a settled uh, status, if you weren't like a refugee and you were just like an economic uh, migrant, was that you had to stay in the UK 10 years which ironically, you had to stay in the UK ten years illegally. <laughs> so, um, I think those first ten years for her was also quite difficult, just in terms of the um, insecurity of her status in the in the UK. Um, so yeah, eventually, after ten years passed, even though, for example, I was born and I was a British citizen, it it doesn't work that she automatically is entitled to citizenship. So yeah, after ten years, she was granted um, British citizenship, and yeah, I think that's a good place to end for now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I, I remember it's it's cool to hear that in in one whole story because I know I've I've heard little bits and pieces of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, as you were as you were talking about your mom's story, I realized I don't I don't know like more of the of the technical or logistical aspects of my mom's, like how she came to be in the U S like, I know mm. they traveled a lot, like they were based in the Philippines, but they traveled a lot. And I think when she was in high school, um, they had to flee the Philippines because um, Marcos had instituted martial law. And I think it just wasn't safe for them to be there. So um, she actually went to high school in Guam um, and spent I think all of her high school years there, um, and then I know, I know that the U.S. and the Philippines have like um, they just have um, like a really, or they've had they've had a relationship where it's it's somewhat easy for Filipinos to come over to the U.S. I think it's getting more challenging now under the current administration, um, but yeah. So I think they they had. Pretty fluid entry into the U.S. I know I've seen my mom's naturalization documents, um, but I don't know that story. So that's something that I should ask my auntie or my tita or something. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, eventually she came over to the U.S. I know that she studied here. She got a master's in fine art, um, and that just that became her passion. Like I've been reading some of her diaries um, and journals, and that was like her one motivation or not one like she had many motivations like she had my sister uh, when she was really young um but she was always just like she wanted to paint like that was going to be her life's goal and so yeah it's just interesting to hear about her time in the U.S. um and the jobs that she worked so that she could fund her painting like buy her supplies and stuff like that um but yeah, and then she met my dad, um, which is kind of a funny story. They So both my dad and my mom, they're kind of silly. They said that by the time they had met each other or like right before they met each other, they had um, settled themselves to the fact that they would just be bachelors forever, you know, just dating people, serial monogamy, whatever. Um, and then my mom, one of the jobs that she was working to to pay for her painting is she was teaching electronic billing. To different offices, and so she was in my dad's doctor's office teaching the staff about electronic billing. Um, and at the time, my dad was at a different office in Berkeley, and and he was like, "Oh, you know," like he was like, "Oh, maybe I'll just go home." But then he thought, "No, you know what? I'll go check in about what's happening in Alameda." So he might not have even been there. But anyway, so we came with like I don't know, maybe ten minutes left of the workday, and he walked into the office and he saw my mom it was really funny there was this woman working there named Debbie and he pulled her aside and he's like oh who is this woman like will you give her my phone number (laughs) and um, so yeah then that was just kind of like the end of that story they got together and yeah but anyway that's not that's not strictly just about my mom but that's about how we got here I guess um but yeah is there so before we move on to the next little question that I had for us um is there anything else that you want to include about your mom um, in terms of introductions and um, what you think people should know about her?
1: Yeah, I feel like now that you've also mentioned yourself, I was like, oh, that also, <laughs> yeah, I should probably mention how I got into the picture. So and because I, I also said, I guess, that my mom originally came to the UK to study travel and tourism so that she could go back to the Gambia. Well, then she got pregnant with me, <laughs> and then decided to stay, <laughs> um, which I feel like is, I don't know, a crucial part her life story of how she is still in the UK like 26 years later (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah so she decided to stay just because she felt that um, the UK would provide a lot more opportunities than growing up in the Gambia would for me and I feel like that's actually quite a big sacrifice that I feel like maybe only in the last kind of five six years I'm fully understanding how much of a sacrifice that was for her and i feel like especially when we talk about migration there's kind of this um tendency to think that people who migrate here like want to stay here forever like in the whether that's the us the uk or just europe in general that like their their goal is to just come here and stay here forever because we're that amazing <laughs> which actually i don't i don't <laughs> think is the case for i would say a substantial amount of migrants um yeah just from like people that I spoke to when I was living in Sicily, and also from speaking to my mom and I think that's something that I forget as well sometimes that she literally gave up everything she knew just to be here for me and for my benefit um, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah it's interesting that you bring that up because, um, you know my mom, my mom spent a lot of time in many different cultures, so in many ways she um she identified with the Filipino culture but in many ways she was just kind of like one of those I think there's a term for it like third culture kid or something or I can't remember what it is but basically that like you just grow up in all these different cultures but it's interesting that you mentioned that because um in the last two or three years of her life I think I remember occasionally she would she would say that she really missed the Philippines like there were just certain aspects of the culture that she really missed and she didn't go back very often throughout her life um because a lot of her family was here in the U S like a lot of us just moved here. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like I think like what you're saying that we just, we just assume that people want to be here and that's true in some cases, but there is a lot that, you know, there is an empty space, like a life unlived that, Mm -hmm. um, that they had to give up when they chose to stay here. Um, but I think that somewhat transitions into my next question is, um, you know, I, I was wondering if you had any wise words or little anecdotes that um, that you hold with you that your mom has given you. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, actually, when you said this, I thought back to, I thought this was a cheeky plug in as all, but <laughs> I thought back to um, a chapter that I had written in my book, Conversations at Crossroad. And it's a chapter that's literally entitled Advice from Mama, Um and one of the main ones yeah which she continuously tells me um is it's a i don't know if it's specifically i wouldn't want to say gambian but maybe just generally west african anyway it it's doesn't matter it's a proverb that she um that her great grandmother used to tell her growing up and in the broken english it is it goes um what a Oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> I'm going to embarrass myself with my accent, but it's fine. Wata wede day for you, no go run past you. Which means literally like the river or the water, which is for you, will not flow past you. And I really like this. And I try to, to remember it in those moments of uh, like disappointment or what's the word, I guess, of possession, I feel, in terms of wanting things to come out the way I imagined it or envisioned but yeah, it's just a, a reminder that we shouldn't like hurry to arrive to our destination, and that whatever is meant to be for us will reach us in one way or another. So I think that's a my mom's golden piece of advice, which she she tells everyone, <laughs> but me a lot, especially. <laughs> How about you?
0: um yeah I remember so when you mentioned your book and you should all go get it it's available on Amazon it's really good um I remember reading that chapter um (laughs) and I really like that piece of advice that little um tidbit um but yeah I think one of the one of the things that I remember my mom saying a lot to me when I was younger and um and I think it's it stayed with me and it's come back particularly now but she would always say that like I had a really good Gut feeling. I don't. I don't think she actually used the word intuition, but she would always say, "You know, like don't forget to just like you know you have this really good gut feeling. Like just remember to trust it." And I think when I was younger at the time, I didn't. I didn't really like. I. I. I kind of took pride in that because I was like, "Oh, you know, it's like praise from your parents." Mm. Um, but I didn't really understand what that meant. And you know, I think. I mean, I won't generalize it onto all women, um, but I feel that you know trusting your intuition and trusting your gut is something that i feel i at least was kind of trained out of um like it's so easy to convince yourself that something's not happening even if your gut is telling you that it is yeah um but yeah i've been revisiting that a lot recently and and trying to remember um you know yeah just to hold that in moments where i feel like a little bit of like oh this this doesn't feel right or maybe like oh yeah this feels right like let me follow this um yeah, so um, I was just wondering if you had any other little tidbits that you wanted to share with us um, that you value, that your mom has given you.
1: Yeah, so there's this another proverb. My mom is literally like a book of proverbs. I joke with her and I tell her that I actually <laughs> want to write like a book of proverbs um, because she literally loves just spilling them out, especially when we're getting to arguments. But anyway, um, this one is, again, in broken English. It goes... If you know Sabi de go, you know komot, which translates, if you don't know where you're going, at least know where you come from. And I feel like this is something that she has successfully kind of imbued in all her kids, um, which is the sense of like our roots and returning to our roots and understanding our ancestor and our heritage. And it's something that I'm really th- thankful for, um, just because. I grew up in a mixed-race household and living in London. Um, I feel like the, the multiple layers of identity that I have has always been a bit of a struggle for me in different ways and at different points of my life. But to have that grounding and that root, to know that I'm not like lost and that I do have a heritage and a rich one that I can draw from and reconnect to I think has helped me a lot in my life. Um, and it's made me more confident and to feel part of something bigger than myself, which we've talked about a bit on our blog, um, about being individualistic and living in societies, which tend to emphasize being an individual over being part of a community or something bigger. Um, so yeah, I really value that life lesson that she has taught me and my sisters.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I think, you know, I can't I can't necessarily trace this back to a certain saying that my mom would say or like a story that she would tell us necessarily. But um, she, and I think, I can't remember which one, but I think we do talk about this in um, a blog post. I'll have to track that down. But um, she was very like in many ways she was very individualistic like she knew what she wanted and she kind of she loved to dress up and and stuff like that Um, but she was also very committed to family and to the communal and I think um, you know you mentioned like growing up in a mixed race household and and having these layered identities and I think that's something that that's part of the reason why we we have such a deep connection Is because I think we both kind of have Mm -hmm. those those like questions about um, our identities and stuff like that. And that's something that we explore a lot. Um, But I think my mom was really able to embody the balance between this like individual uniqueness and, um, you know, keeping in mind the communal and family ties and, um, and stuff like that. So yeah, I, again, I can't like trace it back to a certain event or a certain thing that she told me but I just think the way that she lived her life she was really like she I find myself when I have those questions about like these different layers of my identity I just I try to remember it's kind of cheesy but I'm just like oh what would my mom do because I think my mom was really able to unapologetically um, be many things at once which I think we don't really allow ourselves Um, I, I think we're so we're so preoccupied with defining who we are and carving out our identity that we're almost really strict with how we define ourselves and we don't allow ourselves to be many things at once. And my mom was really good at that. Like she was just saying, you know, yeah, I don't know. I can't really think of an example right now, but but that is a really big lesson that I learned from her.
1: I really like um, that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so is there anything else you wanted to add before we move on to our next topic of motherhood?
1: No, I'm happy to move on. I, I like the fact that you're taking the rain. I think you're a good host. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So I, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about motherhood now. Um, and yeah, cause we think, you know, like I, I really think that, um, I, like I've learned a lot from my mom and Sophia, I'm sure you have as well in many ways, like whether it's overtly or covertly or whatever. Um, But yeah, so Sophia, I was wondering if you could walk us through a few um, motherhood or child raising strategies that you feel have been impactful for you specifically and like also your sisters and stuff.
1: So my mom is quite, as she would describe herself, old school and also just very West African (laughs) in the sense that... um, She believes in the discipline of kids and it's something that I think is so embedded in in me as well that I just have no tolerance for like, well, not no tolerance, but very (laughs) low tolerance, let me say, for sulky kids, like especially kids that are sulky for no reason. (laughs) But um, one thing I remember growing up is if we were like naughty, we didn't have this kind of like, oh, time out or just... I mean, yeah, like she would take away our phones and stuff, but I guess when we were very young and we didn't have like phones or like laptops or just, yeah, technology as much that we were playing on. One thing we do is called the monkey dance <laughs> and I'll try and <laughs> visualise it if you guys or describe it. Um, essentially, you cross over your hands and hold your earlobes and then you just do like a squatting action up and down, but you do this and literally literally <laughs> your legs are actually... Sore. Like you just have to keep doing it. Oh and then God. if you try to slow down, my mum would literally be singing and like <laughs> make you do it faster. Um, or there's <laughs> another one called drop pin where you would be literally like balancing on one leg. And I can't, oh, your hand is on top of, wait, is your hand on top of your head? No, it was something to like disorientate your balance and <laughs> make it harder. I can't remember what the position of the hand is. Oh, wait, no, yeah, that was it. So you hold your hand out as if you're dropping a pin. And you would just have to stand like stand like that until your arm like, hurt uh, and you apologised or thought about it. Or just stuff like washing the walls. Basically my mum was like a very strong believer in not, what's the word? I don't know, like pacif, yeah, kind of pacifying. But in a, pacifying kids so that they feel, or they don't understand what they've done wrong. Um, or that they can just sulk and throw attention And then you're just eventually going to like give in. So that's one (laughs) like parenting strategy that I think I will be carrying on if I am blessed to have children in the future. How about you, Natalia? (laughs) Um,
0: Yeah, so I, for whatever reason, I don't remember a lot about, like, how she disciplined us when we were younger. Um, But I know that when we were older and, like, and started showing – you know, like showing our strength in academics, like academics was always a really big thing for my mom. And I think part of that kind of stereotypically comes from Asian communities and stuff. But I think for my mom, especially like, because she moved around so much um, and especially growing up in high school uh, in Guam, she wasn't really stimulated intellectually and she did not want that for us. Um and my brother and I were were pretty good academically. Sometimes we slacked a little bit, but that was that was a main motivator. Like if if our grades were not up, um, you know she came down pretty hard. But yeah, so she was she was really strict with academics, and um, she also really knew like she was really good with her words, and she was really good with knowing. Knowing where to hit you where it hurt, kind of thing, so I think my mom my mom was a little bit more of a disciplinarian with her words um, like I'll give you an example it's I think it's hilarious now, obviously at the time I didn't. But um, so I remember once I, I had brought home a grade from one of my tests and I think it was a B or something. So it wasn't terrible, but it just wasn't up to her standards. Um, and so I was doing my homework at the dining room table and my mom walked into the kitchen and she knew that I could hear her. Like it wasn't an accident. She knew that I could hear her and she went up to my dad and she was like, like, I don't even understand what to do with her anymore. Is she retarded or something? And just was like yelling that and just <laughs> making such a big deal of it. And I was like, oh my god I don't think I said anything because I think she was just in in such an angry state at my grade that I just knew I shouldn't say anything at that point but anyway so that that's an example of like something that she would do and she always meant well like she was always there like I remember she would help help us with all of our schoolwork because yeah just the education thing was really really important to her mm. um and I think that's something that I'll probably take moving forward um because I I see that the I see the opportunities that it's given me but I think I will probably expand that a bit to include other like non-traditional ways of education. You know, like I yeah. feel that there, are, and this is a whole other can of worms, but like I feel like there are a lot of other ways to learn things than just the classical um, school learning. Um, so I think I'm definitely going to emphasize education, but education in more than just school, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and I definitely agree with that. That's something because I felt like in terms of, especially West African cultures, Um, education is definitely like top priority for most parents. And I was actually, this is also, sorry, just a very quick sidetrack. I'm talking to someone I met when I was traveling this summer and he was also of African heritage and he made a comment, which is quite interesting. And I think about it from time to time is, it was just like an offhand comment as well. Um, he was like it's really interesting like when the colonizers came they took all our resources and gave us education instead and he was talking specifically about christian missionaries in west africa and how they made us poor but made us think that education is what makes us rich and sucked our wealth anyway Mm -hmm. sometimes i just think about that from time to time that's completely not relevant (laughs) to this uh, conversation but just thought i'd drop uh, it in there
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that is actually really interesting and very relevant, because, you know, it's one thing that I I get kind of sad about. So my mom never taught us Tagalog, which is the it's the official language of the Philippines. Um, And and part of that is because, you know, she just didn't think it would be useful um, because she wanted us to be more American or she thought that English was going to bring us further in life, which I mean, that is kind of the sad reality of the world is that English is just spoken everywhere. Um, But yeah, that's something that I feel kind of sad about, because I feel like that is a link to our heritage that we just don't have. Um, And that's something that I feel like happens very often in immigrant families or immigrant communities and stuff. Um, But yeah, I don't exactly remember where I was going with that. But um, I was wondering if you if you had any fears for motherhood, uh, and this is assuming that you want to have kids. I think we have talked about this before.
1: Yeah, Um, but yeah. I do. I'd love twins as well. I'm not sure about delivering them, but <laughs> to have them also out, that would be cool. Um, I feel like I'm generally quite an anxious person. And I feel like that bleeds into a lot of aspects of my life. One of the big ones being motherhood. Um, at the moment, I have an 11-year-old sister. And obviously, I'm not her mum, but I feel in some ways a kind of support mum or, like, a secondary mum. And I treat her as much as my sister as my, my daughter or, I think, how I would treat a daughter if I had one. Um, I think one of my biggest fears, as well as just being, like, scared generally of, like, illness or death or just some, like, harm coming to the child, like, physical or even mental harm coming to the child, is that I feel... I in my weaknesses would probably over project a lot until that child and it's something that I do with myself in terms of just the standards I have of myself and of others um but I just feel yeah like when it's your child I can imagine that being magnified because you already have this kind of like oh it's my child type mentality and you think that you're doing what's best for them so that's something I'm worried about just over projecting the things that I wish I could have done growing up as a child, um, or I guess in wanting an even better life for them than what I have, kind of expecting them to fit a certain mold. Yeah. How about you?
0: Um, yeah, I think I think there are a few things that I'm a little bit scared of. I do want kids at some point, not now, but um, at some point. And I think my... So, my mom and my dad, both my parents were, um, somewhat hands off in the way that they raised us. Like they just, I remember they just kind of let us run around and figure things out for ourselves. And that's something that, um, I, I really value, um, especially cause I, I really like working with preschool age children. Um, I find them very imaginative and I just, I think my energy works really well with them. And that's a strategy that I've found, um, to be really helpful. Um, and I know that there's a tendency in especially like young child care to just be super bubbly and like really in their business. But actually, I feel that kids learn a lot more from each other and from themselves than they do from the adult. Mm. Um, and I'm worried that, yeah, when I become a mother to my own kids, that somehow I'll forget that because there is, you know, I've talked to my sister and stuff and like, the way that you are with other people's kids definitely changes when you have your own kids yeah. because they're your own, you know? And, and yeah. And you worry so much about them because you produce this being in your body and birthed it. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm worried that I will kind of like get tunnel vision and yeah, kind of like, like you're saying is project certain things onto them and not, not be able to have that little bit of distance. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that definitely is, um, one worry of mine. And then also, you know, I mean, this is a little bit, um, a little bit more like, uh, I can't remember the word, but, but, you know, I want to be able to provide the children with the opportunities that we had. And mm. so, for example, like, um, we went to a French school growing up, and it's just kind of random that we went to a French school, but my mom loved the French language. And I, even though my second language isn't Tagalog, like it's French, um, I really, I think that's been really important. I um, mean, it's opened up a lot of opportunities for myself and for my brother and sister. Yeah. Um, and so I'd like to be able to provide my children with that kind of upbringing, at least learning one or two other languages in addition to english because i think in the u.s that's not that's not very common not very many people learn a second language in the u.s i don't know if it's the same in the uk but i thought that was really valuable The english
1: have a really bad reputation for languages um it almost kind of because obviously I've, i've grown up in a household where there's at least four different languages um that we speak amongst ourselves and it just seems so normal that when people get surprised at me learning or like having studied like latin or italian at university which to me isn't even uh, not to like belittle it or to say it's insignificant but it's just like whoa like languages like it's just such a it's seems such a rarity in the uk i guess because we just believe that english is spoken everywhere and we don't really need to put in the effort <laughs> to learn other languages <laughs> so yeah it's not that common here either
0: yeah which is like a whole other level of whatever colonialism or whatever you want to say and and that is a whole other discussion too which maybe we should have on this podcast but Uh,
1: you know what from this um um, conversation so far i've already like had loads of splinters um of different conversations that we could have for the future (laughs) yeah
0: yeah well we'll definitely revisit some of those conversations yeah um but yeah, are there, so I guess one of my last questions before we just kind of splinter off into whatever last things you want to say is um, what are some things that from, you know, that you've observed that your mom did when you were growing up, what are some things that you want to carry with you as, you know, when you go into motherhood and what are some things that you want to leave behind?
1: I think the main thing that she's taught me and shown me since, I can remember is the power of like resilience and hope. I think my mum is literally the person who, who believes that hope like never ever dies. And that as long as you have like even the smallest ounce of hope, you can do whatever you want to do. And I think just both from hearing the stories uh, of how growing up in the Gambia, especially, but then the continued struggle to come here and how, humble she is with the life that she lives now even though it isn't by any means in well not by any means by UK means um like a luxurious lifestyle or anything like that just how she's been able to to get to where she is now because of her resilience and that hope that she carries with her um so yeah that's something I would definitely like to take with me in terms of things that I wouldn't um Hmm. I think and I don't like blame my mum for this at all, um, but I think part of her getting to where she has gone to has meant that she has had to hustle a lot. And some of my earliest memories growing up, as I said, was her not really being there. Um, not because she didn't want to, but I guess because she didn't have the luxury of, you know, um, not working in the spare time that she had. So I think being... But again, that has also made me independent. So I'm kind of like torn about that one. But yeah, um, that would be one of the things, just being there for... I feel like the more formative years, like the emotionally formative years um, of my children's lives. And... I guess the the other flip side to her resilience and to her hopefulness is sometimes not being able to understand and accept my weakness. Um, and I think that, again, comes from her own life experiences and what she's had to go through that, you know, like for me, university stress or just smaller life stress seem... She doesn't understand why I can't deal with it with more resilience. So I think always trying to be more open-minded and to understand things from my kid's perspective, um, which I feel like at some point it's, we, we definitely probably clash. But yeah, just trying to do that. I guess those are the two things. How about you?
0: Nice. Um, yeah, I think and I think um, I've kind of mentioned this before in this podcast. But one of the really big things that I do want to carry with me is that um, you know that kind of more hands-off approach um like I, I yeah i don't want to project things onto my kids and and but the thing about that is that my mom my mom knew when to insert herself and i think that she also had a very strong intuition about that um and that's something that i want to carry with me and i don't necessarily think that's something that i can like learn necessarily like i think it's more just yeah you know, like retraining yourself um in terms of your intuition like so for example or I'll give you an example um when I was younger I had an eating disorder and my mom knew when it was happening so so basically I was at a, a summer camp like I was far away from her when this first started and she was back at home and she told me later that she knew that something wasn't right. Like she didn't know what it was, but she knew that something wasn't right. And apparently she was trying to tell my dad, She's like, we have to go pick them up. Something's not right. Like, I just know something's not right. And then my dad was like, no, it'll be fine. Like, let them finish off their summer camp. It will be okay. And that's kind of when that all started for me. And that's that's a story that's like stuck with me for a while because, you know, my mom my mom was kind of like, oh, just figure out your own thing, figure out life for yourself, which... I also value because I think it has taught my brother and I to be very independent and be, um, you know, really just buckle down and get, get done what needs to be done. But she somehow knew um, when we needed extra support and was there for that. Um, So that's something I really want to bring with me. Um, And she, and another thing I really want to bring with me is she was really, um, especially In her last few years, she was really open and honest about what she was going through, even if it made people uncomfortable. And that's something that um, I try to remember every day. And and that's something I want to help my kids understand, because I think there's such a tendency with younger kids, especially to be like, oh, that's too heavy of a topic for them. Like, they can't deal with that right now. And to a certain extent, I agree. But it's also like kids understand a lot more than you give them credit for. Um, Mm. And so I think... Like that's something that my mom was really good at at modeling, like that kind of behavior. Um, in terms of things I want to leave behind, I don't know. That one's kind of a hard one for me because I can see now, with some distance, like the the ways that she, like how she raised us, has made us the way that we are. And I mean, not not to be like egotistical or anything, but I feel like my brother and I are are, are pretty. I don't know, we're pretty well-adjusted beings <laughs> in this world, or I don't know, like we do have our insecurities and stuff, but I think my mom and my parents, like they did, they did a really good job of raising us. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if I really have anything that I want to leave behind. Um, I'm sure something will come to me eventually. But um, before we sign off, are there any other little last things that you want to add about your mom or you want to share in this podcast?
1: Um, hmm, that's a good question. I guess another thing that I really appreciate that my mum has tried to teach me is seeing the good in everything. I don't know. I, I just want to try and embody my own life, but also um, bring forward as well when I have kids. And she always tells me you know like never lose sight of the good um that you have in your life and never forget as well that the bad never is truly bad because everything has good in it so that's just yeah a little another piece of advice that I'd like to I guess sign off with
0: yeah it's definitely that's a good one I think that's a it's probably a good place to end um Thank you for joining us with this or in this discussion about our moms, um, and we hope that you have a really good International Women's Day, um, and that you honor um, and have a shout out or a moment of love with the women in your lives um, who, yeah, who have influenced your your growth. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye.
1: <Bye-bye. laughs> Oh, the happiness, only fertile when you cry See, so now I know I'll tell you Send your happiness from with time And living in the park will only destroy your mind So even when you're long, even when you're